0: hey this is tech talk radio what's going on family Uh, i got a brand new episode for you guys today i'm going to talk about a little bit of some legal cases not so much of a case study more like a case review and why it's relevant now many of you have been waiting for this for a while i have had a few technical difficulties on one end one one part my mic wasn't working uh for my podcast app Uh, another part uh if, uh, I couldn't get the video uh, to record or to actually uh, keep what I was doing. So, after so many uh, cuts, you know how that goes, I just kind of took a break, kind of handled some business. But we're here today to review cases like Graham versus Connor, uh, Tennessee versus Garner, uh, Terry versus Ohio. That'll actually be our first one. And then we're also going to review a case uh, of what happened in New Orleans. Um, uh, 1900, July 24th on my birthday, which is documented by Ida B. Wells in one of her uh, documents called uh, A Mob Rule in Louisiana. So, without further ado, um, let me get into, uh, first of all, let's get into what one of the themes that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about reason and what is reasonable. The reason we're going to be talking about this is because your fourth amendment rights protect you against unreasonable searches and seizures of property by the government Uh, uh, to read its amended version uh, in full the right of the people to be secure in their persons houses papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by author affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seen okay so the reason why we're getting into this is that that key word unreasonable because when we get into cases such as Graham versus Connor uh, they have awarded or granted officers something called objective objective reasonableness Uh, essentially meaning that if an officer feels that, or it's, uh, they, or the, even uh, the courts feel like an officer had a reasonable suspicion, a reasonable idea, they can uh, stop and search you. It, it, as the Fourth Amendment states, from unreasonable. So that's the, that's what we have to unpack here. We have to deal a lot with reason. So you you're gonna hear me uh, mention a few concepts by Dr. Edwin Nichols to kind of. Bring some of this together, but first off, we're gonna start with <clears throat> Terry Frisk or Terry versus Ohio. This is uh, the uh, Supreme Court case happened 1968. All right, in October 31st, 1963, uh, Detective Martin McFadden sees two uh, who he believes suspects, Terry and Chilton. They're walking uh, in between, I believe, a corner and a store, uh, exchanging something perhaps in their hands every once in a while. There's a few other people who's uh, who's mentioned, like Carl Katz and a a couple of names that scratched off the actual uh, police report, but right now we're focusing on Terry and Chilton, mostly Terry. Uh, McFadden, who has over 39 years of experience, believes that uh, these two men are up to something. He don't know what it is, but he believes that they're up to something. So, he decides to stop them, ask them for their IDs. Uh, they begin to act nervous. He puts them against the wall, start patting them. Mind you, he only pats their upper body, feels something in their coat, uh, and I believe Chil- uh, Chilton's coat, where he uh, feels like a gun. So, he gets them into the store, uh, frisk them some more, finds two guns on them. Right? He finds two guns on them, uh, calls it in, blah, 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 blah. These two men are going to jail. Now... 1968, the court has to decide whether or not, right, he was uh, that he had the right to stop um, and frisk Terry without uh, probable cause, Terry Chilton, well, I mean not Terry Chilton, uh, Mr. Terry without probable cause, right, uh, and he and the the Supreme Court ruled that police may stop and frisk without probable cause if. An officer has a reasonable suspicion that some uh, that someone committed is committing, or is about to commit a crime, and stop and frisk, or if they believe they're armed and dangerous. So, all that if they believe if they have a reasonable quote unquote because this has to go into this you know something that is entirely subjective. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's ability to reason. You're uh, talking about somebody's perception, right? But, um, oh, yeah. Well, another thing I need to know, uh, mention about this case, there's uh, it was uh, decided 8 to 1, right? Uh, Justice Douglas was the only one who disagreed with the court who argued that nothing less than probable cause can justify forcible determinants. And even as it's as it's written on the fourth amendment as i already read to you it says that it shall not be violated no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seen nothing less than probable cause okay but we're not going to stop right there Let's go over Tennessee versus Garner. Don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna unpack this a little. We're gonna unpack this slowly, but we need to cover some of these cases just so we have a a basis uh, to work from. So Tennessee versus Garner, something many people may not be familiar with, where uh, police respond to a burglary where they stop uh, where they spot a 15 year old Eric Garner. As Eric Garner is trying to uh, hop a fence, um, you know. Uh, the police signs his light on Garner. He can clearly see that he's unarmed. But, uh, in order to quote-unquote prevent him from escaping, he fires one shot into the back of his head, killing him. You know, I, you know, uh, somebody trying to hop a fence. You know, I don't agree with trying to shoot anybody in this case, trying to, to, to get away. Uh, they, You go through the academy for someone. They got you hopping walls and fences. Go do that, right? This 15-year-old boy. But, you, tell, you mean to tell me to stop him from getting away? You had to shoot him in the head? So the fact that you could even sit there and aim, it, I have issues with that. But this happens. This is October 3rd, 1974, right? Uh, in Tennessee. So, yeah, just a lot of issues with that right there. Um, sorry about that. So, once again, you're talking about tennessee versus garner and i don't believe the reason i brought up this case is because to be in within reason we're, t- we're still talking about was the officer within reason you know and we're talking about a burglary so is it all right is it within the normal reason to believe that um, somebody's a thief or a burglar and that they should be shot is that reasonable uh, is that something that most people uh, would agree to? Uh, well, I don't think that's something that most black people will agree to, but how many of us have ever played cops and robbers? You know what I'm saying? Um, how many of us has ever been the cop or the robber and the cop inevitably shoots uh, the quote unquote robber? You know that's the thing that happens. you know you might go or you might get shot and get handcuffs put on and put into jail. You know, I remember going to some schools. If you could be surprised, I have gone to some schools outside of Oakland and Richmond to where these kinds of games were played all the time. Um, And I'm not going to say this is the basis uh, for all, you know, communities and societies based on my experience out there. But however, what I will say is that a lot of these games that get played. And in, in places where there's mostly black kids, we, we play them, but we may not even play them with the same vitriol or the same passion, excuse me, um, as I've seen uh, other people do. Or we may not take it as literally, whereas uh, you may have some people who quite literally feel that way, who feel that the natural thing to do uh, before you go through due process is, uh, is to shoot someone. You know and i think the media has a lot to do with that but i'm not going to unpack all of that right now uh but i want y'all i want you to keep that in mind that this is a young man who he may not have even been burglary um he may not have even been the burglar whether or not he was um to to shoot him without even proving that he was or not you know what i'm saying this could have simply been a kid who uh Might have had a girlfriend in this area. Who knows? Or might have had a friend in this area. He needs to rush and get home. And he knows, you know, if you're a young black man in America, granted that you're not in a uh, suburban society to where you can be sheltered from a lot of that. And even then, I don't believe you can be completely sheltered. But I think that you have a general idea that when the police start coming over to you, that's never a situation to where uh, you feel comfortable. First of all, Unlike any other kids, like, I don't believe white kids ever have to go through this, uh, unless your family might actually be criminal. But they ever have to be prepped on how to deal and talk with police, whether you're a criminal or not. If you are black living in this society, you're going to hear from uh, most of your family members, including most in them, show your parents, on what to do when a police officer approaches you and asks you questions. There's a lot of things that the rest of the world doesn't have to think about ever going through because they've never been in those shoes, okay? But I'm, I'm sidetracking, I'm sorry, family, but keep this in your head that he was 15 and they thought he was a burglar and that somehow gave him the right to use deadly force in that situation to deal with him. Now let's get into the case that's been my, the bane of my back. It's been, it's the thing that, goes under discussed and while we're still talking about uh Stop and frisk or terry frisk i know that comes up a lot particularly when they talk about bring up chicago uh and they always bring this up to trump for some reason uh we have to understand that that this that case is damn near woo, irrelevant to how graham versus connor in north carolina was ruled Now this right here is why the bottom jeans aren't getting their justice this is why the oscar grants getting their justice this is what allows even a damn civilian like a George Zimmerman to get away with what he did to Trayvon Martin and to where subsequently you have a law in Florida that gets passed um the the name is escaping me right now but uh the law that gets stand your ground law right to where you get to stand your ground and uh and be well within your right That see that's that's another example of how this legal system literally says and does things it equivocates to to make it easier to facilitate the oppression and in times the terror uh, the terrorizing of black folks i won't say complete extermination even though we do see that they they have uh Diminished a lot of numbers, but I will say terrorize because when you have a society that is allowed to do egregious things to certain groups of people and it can go unanswered, your the, the point is to terrorize them to put them in fear. And one has to begin to ask yourself, uh, ask themselves, why does this society want to now? I'm now realizing that they're trying to keep me in fear. Why? What are they trying to keep me in fear of? Now. Graham vs. Connor, North Carolina, uh, November 12, uh, 1984 in Charlotte. De Thorne Graham is a diabetic, right? And he's going to have an insulin reaction. How many of us know somebody who's diabetic? I'm sure a lot of us do, right? He's about to have his insulin reaction. He uh, is a friend, William Barry, to go to a corner store, convenience store. Uh, uh, sorry, I said corner store, convenience store. Uh, to get some orange juice, right? So they drive to the corner store, you know, uh, uh, Graham, he bounced out, boom, boom, goes into the store, sees that the line's too long, rushes back out, he's like, hey, let's go to another store. You know what I'm saying? Um, Problem. That an officer, or M.S. Connor, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Sees this, and believes that because of how quickly he came in and out the store that he they must have robbed it. Now he doesn't take the time to look in, quickly peer through the window. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't ask himself, is you know, is it possible for him to run in there and rob and have all the money? Are people reacting to feel like he's not thinking he just he sees, you know, a black man go into a store leave quickly and he just assumes that he robs it so now he's following uh grabbin barry pulls them over ask you know asking for their stuff asking what they were doing what they just did they tell him that hey nothing happened we just went to the store he needs some orange juice because he's diabetic he's about to have an insulin reaction connor don't believe it connor calls for backup and he also calls for somebody to go over to the store and see if anything happens meanwhile as this is happening as it's happening uh, Graham, huh, about to have his reaction. Happy has his reaction. He jumps out the car, runs around four times before he bound, passes out. While he passes out, the, the uh, Connor and the other officers proceed to beat the heck out of him. You know what I'm saying? Leaving him, I believe, with some uh, broken or uh, ankle and a few other other damages. You know what I'm saying? On his person. Now, uh, after this happens. You know uh, they put him into the back of the car another one of his friends come over to get him some orange juice they deny him uh, pretty soon he uh, Connor gets a report back that nothing happens at the store so Connor drives Graham back to his house like like nothing happens well no Graham sues you know what I'm saying <laughs> and he's and he sues saying that um, they violated his uh, what you call it So, as I was saying, sorry about that short pause, family had to make sure some of that information I was going to give you was correct. So some of it is the Fourth Amendment, but the other part is the 14th because they had to go through what is called a due process test, right? And the due process test, which was somewhat based on a a previous case with Johnson and Glick, they had to decide whether or not connor but was in reason or he had what they defined as and if you look up the case connor versus graham or graham versus connor excuse me you'll see that they call it objective reasonableness you know and they're saying that based on that carrier terry versus click that the police officer is within the best uh position at that time to assess whether or not somebody is doing wrong and it's also based on the assumption that the police officer is always going to be doing something that's lawful that they're always going to be in the uh uh, in the um presence or in the favor of doing the right thing sorry about that so that gives us a whole a whole lot of issues when we're talking about Graham versus Connor. When we're talking about Terry Frisk, even when we're talking about Eric Garner, what if this police officer uh, views or his beliefs are unreasonable, or what is the basis of that reason? You know, if the if if you live in a society where uh, black images or black people are constantly being depicted as negative, constantly being depicted as criminal, you know what? white police officer or police officer or person would be unreasonable in assuming that that person is committing a crime you know at what point do we have to assess whether or not this person's perceptions were not somehow flawed unless they unless we're saying that police officers cannot have Uh, flawed perceptions but clearly that isn't the case because we wouldn't have laws such as the fourth amendment or 14th amendment that would protect against that you know a lot of these laws are set up because we know that human beings are imperfect point blank now when we get into something like objective objective reasonableness if we look at how white people for example are depicted through the media like the Tom Brady ah shucks mentality you know which I hate because that doesn't define them as a people as a culture or what we're accustomed to these people have done some of the most egregious things in not only just uh, history but in recent memory we only have to we don't have to go that far back to see Seanan'sville or to see what happens in Vegas who they claim only one old decrepit white man did you know where I have my doubts about that but Herein, we have these examples of some of the most atrocious things that we have ever seen. Yet the media, which is also dominated by them, uh, seem to depict them in in a way that is not accurate. Even the police, I would argue, if we look at some of these shows that they have, we have these these shows like CSI, uh, Blue Buzz, NCIS. you have uh, the criminal minds. All these, all these different types of shows, uh, Hawaii Five O, that uh, depict police uh, police officers as all these people are a bunch of folks that decided to do this because they wanted to do the right thing, because they wanted to change the world, or they always wanted to be a cop, not knowing that that would not. <laughs> I don't even know, like that one of those things. Always wanting to be a cop all your life does not qualify you, like in the real world. Uh, to be a cop yeah this is one of the images that's put out there you have these things that they have a a certain disdain for shady crooked cop yeah you can go back so quickly over here to san francisco i'm from the bay area Uh, out here in san francisco you can see the types of corruption that's been going on as far as um uh, the police chief hell we got a a gang a, a known gang member that hit another mayor you know, we had there was a, a chain of crooked cops, uh, not just in uh, San Francisco, doing things, beating up people, like uh, taking their dope and all this other kind of stuff. You had uh, some some crooked cops going down in OPD, and, I, and it's not just there. If you look at Vallejo PD, uh, they have probably one of the worst and most racist. They just openly beat you. Solano County just openly, beat. I've been beat but in Solano County. Okay, so. <laughs> Just to kind of give you some, some, some context on what's going on. I know I went a little bit off. Like, What actually happens compared to how mass communications or medium decide to uh, depict them are very, very different. But we have to understand that there's a purpose uh, between, uh, behind giving these people these two different in- images. Because what are some of the things that come up or what happens? Uh, in Fremont, about three, four years ago, where this uh, this this woman was shot with her baby by uh, uh, a law enforcement over here in Fremont, California. You can Google it. Look everything. Look everything that I say, family. Look ev- look up everything that I say. You know what I'm saying? I might twist up a, a sentence here and there. I'm mostly going for memory, but look up everything. These are facts. You don't have to deal with my interpretation, but please deal with my facts. So. She had no they had no room, but one of the first things they wanted to bring up after they shoot oh she had a criminal record oh she used to steal this oh she used to steal that you know what I'm saying when Oscar Grant over here at the uh, one bar station away from me right now I'm over here at Mayfair he was killed over there at San Leandro bar station right uh what reason did he have when the man is already on the floor and I knew people who were on that bar that day that 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 bothered them to see that. Man is already subdued. What reason did you have to pull out your taser? You know, what ideology? What made it seem that what what was his name? Something Peterson. Um, what what gave him the reason? I was totally upset that day because around the time that that happened, uh, you had people on TV burning LeBron James jerseys. So right now we're having, uh, a, basically, another uh, another lynching by a police officer to a young uh, uh, young black man, you know what I'm saying? Because there was more than one of those officers there. You know, that man was in a, why didn't one of those officers say, as soon as this man is reaching for his taser, which was really his gun, stop like, hey, what you doing? We already got him. And what is the definition of a lynching? It's the killing or a torture of a person by, uh, by either two or three or more people. That's the official uh, definition of lynching as given by Oklahoma that's dealt with a lot of so much so that that the lynching has to be on their government page. Check it if you think I'm lying. Now, let's get into the reason or the ability to reason um, of the European or Western society. Um, The uh, dichotomous logic. That's kind of how they reason. They kind of reason like either or. If you're good, then you're then you're okay. If you're bad, then you're evil. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna unpack this a little bit. All right, let's get into the first case where we're talking about Terry Fritz and uh, Detective McFadden is going up there. You know what I'm saying? Based on his logic of good and evil, based on how they were speaking of black folks. Or what the tension what the energy towards Black folks were. White was good, Black is bad. You know what I'm saying? So if these were two white men walking up the street doing this every day, he might think that they're weird. He might think that they're funny. You know, some, you know, something might be a little off with them. But when he sees these two Black men, he assumes like, oh no, if these are two young Black men and they walking up this street, oh yeah, and that's what he believes. That's what I didn't mention, uh, is that he believes that they're casing the joint. He believes this story that they're going back and forth from. He believes that they're getting ready to rob it. That's why he stops him. I didn't mention that in part one, but that's exactly... Uh, that's, so that that was his belief. So he assumes that they about to rob it. Were they about to rob it? Most likely not. You know what I'm saying? Realistically, you know, and this is not to indict, but they're probably doing some other kind of business. For those who are from the cities and, and understand these kinds of movements, we know that something else was most likely happening. They weren't going to rob that store, most likely. Uh, that was a story that they're very familiar with, uh, very close to home. So uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that. But even getting into the, uh, what you call it? Excuse me. Uh, Terry versus Garner. Sorry about that. Responding to a burglary. Without even questioning the young man, he sees a young black male, automatically assumes that he is the burglar what you see that like when we get into the uh, uh, the axiology or the dichotomous logic or uh you know axiology what is the value system right you know how do you think because your logic it gives you the ability to reason and their axiology is focus on the thing with the highest value if you're a police officer you're a detective you are in charge of watching property okay that's what they respond to now if we look at just if we look just at uh the fourth amendment they also regard your persons as property but it's your property now i got some 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 uh some things i can talk about that as far as how they view people you know because if there's a certain property that belongs to you a person's a body then that also implies that there's certain types of persons that have you know that are property that you can't own so but we're not we're not gonna delve into that you know what I'm saying because that is a whole nother segue but just even getting back into that they just assume that they're criminals that we're criminals that those black men are criminals without proof and their biggest thing is they have to guard the value so that's why they're all thinking that they may be thieves You'll find a lot, and I have something else. I have something from I.D.B. Wells uh, from the 1900s that that speaks on the case. Because I I wanted everybody to see the parallels. Because I took some cases that were somewhat recent, you know, but the, the you know as far as the Terry Francis goes back about 50 years. I'm going back a hundred years. I want to show you that nothing has changed. Only the game. And only the how it is applied, how it's done, has changed because of folks like Ida B. Wells, who her work, um, mob rule in Louisiana, is, uh, is actually da, 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 da. Frederick Douglass um, writes a letter. He actually thanks her for not just for not just for that, but also her great works in documenting all the lynching statistics. So because of writers like that, um, because of writers just like Zora Neale Hurston, they always talk about. Uh, Their eyes were watching God, but they will never talk about some of the scholarly work she's done in exposing a lot of the histories of things that's happened to us um, and even in the Afro-Caribbean. But um, I want the family to see that there are several parallels uh, between what's going on uh, right now what happened 50 years ago, and what happened a hundred years ago, and that the same tactics are being used. And what they do now is that uh, they use the me- they use our own medium. They—they—they've taken over our music. Our music that is historically, if we get into uh, songs of the South by uh, W. E. Du Bois, you'll find that our music, even the ability to take. Um, negative words which has always been ours but negative words and to use them in a song to give it a point or meaning is, is something we've always done you know um but they've taken that over they took over country they took over jazz they took over all these forms of medium and changed it to a message more of their liking and particularly with the rap music because of how it came out i tell people the biggest difference between the gangster rap now and even just you could say the gangster rap that came out and 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 now the music that we have now is that in those times when they talked about the streets and the bad things that went on they knew who was responsible they didn't blame themselves they were talking about the situations that they found themselves in or that their community found themselves in because of lack of knowledge or resources or knowing what to do because of all of the destruction that was caused by a certain person now because they take and they've taken it over it has become the new black because you got white folk behind the music promoting killing more black folks than anything else uh, selling drugs and, and having the black folks being the the, uh, the instrument of destruction and they've gotten some black folks to be so desperate to actually be glad and proud to be the instrument or the representative as the instrument because they're not the ones flying these freaking planes over here bringing in the dope but as long as you they feel that like that or they can be the representative of something like that you know what I'm saying now it's an image that's pushed out there. We have been, you know what I'm saying they have tricked us to into facilitating our own narrative that facilitates the kind of objective reasonableness that these cops like McFadden, that uh, that Connor, you know what I'm saying all, all these all these officers and I'm going to talk about some officer Morris, you know gave them the right to just assume. Or the justification, not the right. The justification, because at the end of the day, in many of these cases, when we unpack them, we know that the the, the major cause was racist prejudice. Those hateful feelings towards that, that person, and because society—this is where the racism comes in—because society has deemed these people so less than that you could step on them as you step on an ant or a spider or swat at a, a bug. You see what I'm saying, and I am gonna to have to take some time to slowly unpack this whole menstrual thing, because when we deal with the menstrual media, and when we deal with our representation, and when we deal with the music, and why is it being represented? Well, look, if you ask people, if you ask folks who are in charge it you can't have shit that's bag it, bag it, bag it, bag it. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, but I have to hear nigger. So. Like I was saying, you can say that all you want to, but have a, uh, a, a popular genre that, uh, that expressionally called uh, black bitches, uh, niggas, all this kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, when you have uh, the, the female R&B artists or the rap artists have to be the most Jezebel slutty, you can't have no, 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 no black sister uh, be supported by Viacom that's like uh, an Amber Swift type. They're not interested in that. Now that goes against the image that they're trying to sell you. Because when we go into um, Thomas Jefferson, he adduced along with many others, but he's one of the principal ones that this stuff uh, that felt that because of how we were built, particularly the black women, these big breasts and thighs, is that we were built for uh, a to have sex. I can't think of the the word that he used, but that's what he used to adduce a lot of the rape and I the means They're built for sex. You know and, uh, and and basically rendered us as, as folks that were so sexually geared and so built for sex that we couldn't be as feeling we were geared for that to be primal barbaric and particularly they did that no more than with our black women and still do it when we look at the uh, the cases and particularly in, in New York this is why I hate that show blue blood look at just look at how many rape cases has happened where they had a case this is uh, this is three years ago where the sister is just walking and two officers are cost her handcuff somewhere in an alley and proceed to rape her. And just simply and only thing I had heard from them, uh, she had, she had gotten a lawyer, but only thing I had heard from, uh, from anybody or any source is that they were suspended or put on some leave or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, when we get into the case of this man who they have a damn go fund me, This man was in uh, Ohio, Tulsa, no, 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 Ohio, Tulsa, Oklahoma, excuse me, you know, in that place of all places, we had this officer who was proven because they had evidence and not just the GPS evidence that was placing them at these places, he had raped over, that. they say over 33, but he was proven to rape about 14. Many of these women were black women or whether they want to clear women, person, women of color, however. And they got a damn GoFundMe to come get this officer out of jail. Okay? So going back into what the minstrel media represents, uh, this is all the same thing. This is all about taking a group of people and using what we call propaganda, something that we know they've been very good at dealing with and have been using uh, since the middle of medieval times. This is what inspired a lot of the getting images to make people feel a certain way about people. When we think about how they were able to get so many ignorant folks to go down there to a place they had never been before and just ransack and kill it, they had to get these folks to to hate them. They had to give them some sort of impetus, some reason, motivation. So, without further ado, I know I had a segue for a little bit, but now it's time to get down to business, business. So, in Ida B. Wales, mob rule of Louisiana, September 1st, 1900, Robert Charles and his fight to death, the story of his life, burning human beings alive, other lynching statistics. Okay. Now, I'm not going to read the entire thing. I, I took a, uh, took a couple of bits out. Um, I'm just going to be a little bit more detailed than the the first one because everything else will be a lot easier uh, for you guys to access. There's a whole bunch of coverage on it, a whole bunch of case studies. You can can read a bunch of uh, case studies through different colleges uh, based on a a lot of what I'm talking about. So there's a lot of information out there. This is uh, lesser known, and for those who want this, please uh, contact me at... um, at Technico on my IG or on my Gmail which is the set tech TV at gmail.com uh, and I can get you uh, at least a copy uh, of this so you can so you can see the whole thing I think it's definitely worth reading uh, but I'm gonna get in but I'm going to it let's get in and get it in so the this account is basically takes place uh, where Ida B. Wells says after the big Italian massacre of 1892, New Orleans basically gets down in. Uh, to give you guys an even uh, more context, is uh, I have some family. My great-grandmother's actually from Three Louisiana, but one of the reasons why they all started to come out this way is my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather. Um, basically, something, ha- I, I, something happened they were, oh no, they were going into people's houses and lynching them, killing them, burning them, he wasn't going for that. Uh he ends up killing a white man, he has to go. For anybody who got family in the south or is from the south, uh know that there's certain places too where that real uh rebellious, rambunctious attitude has to be taken somewhere else. Like I've been told all the time that I would you know, if I was, even if I came up in the South, I'd have to go. Like they have to send me somewhere, like they could keep me around there, I'd be dead. You know, they would kill me. So that just kind of gives you some you know, some context into that. But uh, Ida B. Wells describes this account as an inexcusable and unprovoked assault against Robert Childs and a 19-year-old Leonard Pierce. Now, this account is documented in two newspapers, two very racist newspapers. But these two newspapers tell two diff- completely different stories. Two completely different stories. One has even a statement from an officer... Uh, Mora, all right, I believe, yeah, I believe it's Officer Mora, um, yeah, so, doo. do, you do? Yeah, oh yeah, no, the papers are called, sorry about that, man, uh, New Orleans Times Democrat and the New, uh, New Orleans uh, PQ, all right, so it goes down like this, uh, the two men were sitting on the porch where three police officers, Sergeant O'Coyne, Officer Moore, and Officer Contrell, decide to arrest them for no apparent reason, uh, no warrant, uh, or even a report to justify their actions against the two men, right? Uh, Contrell essentially uh, puts a gun to Pierce's face, and the young man quickly submits. Uh, Moore just attacks Charles with a billet, you know what I'm saying, little club. And attempts to draw his weapon and kill Charles. However, Charles puts out his gun a little bit quicker, and they start having a duel out in the streets to where both men are shot. Okay, so that just kind of gives you (laughs) an idea of what kind of uh, time people were living in, you know. sorry about that family i received a phone call but as i was saying so basically these two men uh weren't being bothered they get into a little scuffle and whatnot um well not even a scuffle let me not even because that kind of degrades it from what it actually was these two men were accosted they were attacked uh they started a little duel out in the streets uh charles gets away um they take uh the other man in uh long story short with the young man pierce he's eventually the mob gets to him has to kill him you know what i'm saying i, I would not want say has to kill him but that's that's what they do um any black man living at that uh living in louisiana and places like that at that time uh knew better than to uh to go to the police and, and be held for uh, against your peers uh, you wouldn't make it there as uh, a matter of fact i believe i have a quote you know, that uh, that actually supports this. Oh yeah, actually. So Ada B. Ida B. actually has a, a comment in there. She says that in any law-abiding community, Charles would have been justified in delivering himself uh, immediately to the proper uh, constituted authority and asking a trial by a jury of his peers. He could have uh, he could have been certain that in resisting an unwarranted arrest, he had the right to defend his life, even to the point of taking one in that defense. But Charles knew that his arrest in New Orleans, even defending his life, meant nothing short of a long-term and penitentiary and still more probable death by lynching at the hands of a cowardly mob. You know, so you can definitely tell he was not trying uh, to go in. The young man, you know, probably not knowing any better, you know, not having a weapon, you know, contrary to what I'm going to read you about some of these, uh, these quotes from these newspapers, because it's important to know, I talked a lot about how media representation was and how it was pivotal. Um, and I need the family to see that it hasn't changed. That the, some of the same criteria that they used to induce uh, crimes against us in the past, particularly by these so-called patrol uh, patrolmen or officers, um, is that uh, they've been doing it and it is no real context, you know. Things for them to mess with us on, or what's illegal versus legal, are all things that they use uh, principally to deal with us. You know, if we look at California, how long has people been having their 215s or smoking weed, these hippies have been smoking weed? But how many of these brothers have been bust, busted? You know, How many times have I been in the passenger seat with a white boy, who's smoking weed, all of, you know what I'm saying, or a majority of them Why they all smoking weed, and I see them get a pack, you know what I'm saying, how many times I've been in the same car in the back seat with one of my partners, you know what I'm saying, he got some tree, and they take the tree, they take the car, and that's pretty much, they leave us stranded to where we at, because it, you have, you have a decision. you know what I mean, so, anyway, you know, and I'm, I'm just talking facts here, I'm not, I'm not somebody that's out here trying to lie, not trying to, uh, uh, misconstrue uh, to not portray myself in a certain way. I'm not trying to portray myself as anything but what I am, which is an interpreter of history and a deliverer of truth. So, getting into uh, some quotes from the Times Democrat again. If you guys want the full, uh, the full read, please contact me on my IG, Technico, or you can contact me on. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, my email is TV at Gmail or you can even check uh, you can even uh, message me on uh, my YouTube, which is uh, the uh TV as well. So getting into the quotes from uh, first from the New Times uh, Democrat, and these are just some quotes I, I want the family to see how uh, they how they describe uh, the two black men. So two blacks who are desperate men and no doubt to be proven burglar and to be proven burglars. so they sure, now they ain't got no proof they don't know but no to be proven burglars, right the next part uh the negroes using pistols first dropping patrolman mora but the desperate darkies did not go free for the taller of the two uh robinson is badly wounded and undercover while leonard pierce is in jail all right uh, the next thing they go on to say is that uh, for a long time, that particular neighborhood has been troubled with bad Negroes, and the neighbors were complaining to the sixth precinct about them. Bad Negroes. So, already off the top, in the first few, uh, the first statement and what I read to you was the first statement they had in it two blacks who are desperate men and no doubt to be proven burglars. So, right there, you already have um, them describing them in a negative way you know you already have a two blacks what did they tell okay two negatives even if you had some who are desperate men why would you characterize them as that no doubt to be proven burglars well where is the evidence no doubt to be proven which means it hasn't been proven so why are we assuming you know the negroes using pistols <clears throat> well if there were two negroes using pistols you know. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to some of these from the uh, from the uh, the PKU because uh, ooh. First, and I, I'm not gonna get because the PKU. They, it seems like they had a writer. Um, they they had a writer who really tries to describe. Uh, like I, I guess they want to be a novelist. So the first one it kind of reads like. They're, ve- they're very, well, they're very strategic in what they're trying to do. You know, they're also uh, bringing up, just, you know, they well, they keep making references to the color and being criminal. You know what I'm saying? Negroes and criminal action. Not really talking about what the officers are doing, right? But they're, but they're putting black and negative, black and negative. Blacks and ne- Negroes with pistols. You know what I'm saying? Desperate darkies. <laughs> so you can see who they're kind of pandering and catering to there can use a little different they also start off by saying pierce started the shooting but how they start everything off and, oh my god it's so dramatic it's like patrolman mora was shot in the right hip and dangerously wounded last night at 8 30 o'clock <laughs> you know what i'm saying that's how that's how they start that up the shooting of Patrolman Moore brings memory to the fact that he was one of the partners of, partners of Patrolman Trump, not Trump, Trump, who was shot by a Negro soldier of the United States government during the progress of the Spanish Amer- uh, Spanish-American War. So that should tell you something else right there with that second statement, right? Secondly, they're trying to conjure up feelings of, you know, sympathy for this person. You know, Mora. You know, he reacted this way because he had a partner who was uh, who was killed by a um, by a black soldier. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? In the by the United States. So it's just like outside of the fact. Oh, But let me let me just deal. Let me deal with that first. Excuse me, fam. They wanna they want you to sympathize with him there. They also want you to sympathize with the fact that this man is white because he says it they even say themselves that the negro was a soldier a soldier fighting for the united states his partner was fighting for the spanish now this uh, this brings me back to uh things that i've heard uh dr uh dr ben say and um and some questionings after uh in one of his little lectures and whatnot where he talked about uh fighting in puerto rico against the germans and the german told him like after this war he was going to be his boss And he found that to be true. Uh, I also found that uh, it's either, uh, yeah, Jesse Jackson, when he was interviewing, I believe, with Undisputed about two years ago, maybe a little more, he uh, spoke about uh, his father and his father's time in the military and how they had uh, got, like, he was, well, if it wasn't Elvis, it was somebody else very popular uh, to perform. And they had the white soldiers in front, they had the German uh, prisoners behind the white soldiers, and then they had the black soldiers behind the German prisoners. You know, so that kind of reminds me of that. But when we look at that, you're you're seeing that they're identifying quickly with who they believe white is. So already they want you to sympathize not only with Officer Moores and this fact that he had already had lost a police officer to a darky or a Negro. That, you know, the Negro... You know, but they also, you know what I'm saying? But they also, you know, to adduce it, they, you know, they have no problem mentioning that this Negro was in the service of the United States, you know, killing an enemy. Because who are their enemy, really? You know what I'm saying? Let's go on. At the hour mentioned, three Negro women noticed two suspicious men sitting on a doorstep in in the above locality. As they told the story, they saw the men look over the fence and examine the window. You know what I'm saying? Now, this is what they get principally from Officer Moore's statement to this newspaper. Right? They don't know this. They they haven't asked these women what happened. They don't know who these black women are. I doubt if these black women even exist, particularly at a time to where black folk don't talk to police. You know... And according to the two different, where would you even have the time? But let's uh, go on. Police officer or patrolman, Morris. And I also like to comment on this. I also like to comment on how etymologically, in the 1900s, the name or the colloquial name or how they referred to their officers or patrolmen, right, didn't evolve much from the uh, from the word that they used for the slave, because paddle patrol. You know what I'm saying. So you can even see that etymologically there is still a relationship between this group and their dealings and how they deal with black people. You know what I'm saying. You're talking about if you're, you know, if you're talking about etymology here, and we're talking about the relationship, and we talk about the known and the, you know, the history of the start of law enforcement in this country. And I don't think there's anybody who studies this uh, subject worth their salt that will deny that the uh, law enforcement. was essentially an evolution from the paddle patrolling or the slave catching uh, utility. And a lot of the slave catching, for most of us who don't know, look to the Cohen and Moses, there's a whole lot of text out there were actually uh, pushed by the Jews. And that paper that I mentioned was the New Times Democrat. The Democrat was uh, the white supremacist, uh, white supremacist party in the South. Okay? Um, so... Well, moving on from that, uh, Moore's own statement to the Pekin U proves, right, that uh, they kind of assaulted these men without reason. And I'm going to read that part to you uh, because it's it's long, and I believe y- y'all need to hear it in its uh, in its entirety, or at least just this first part. You know. So I was in the neighborhood of Dryades and Washington Street with Sergeant O'Corn and Officer Control when three Negro women came up and told us that there were two suspicion, look, suspicious-looking Negroes sitting on a step in Dryades Street between Washington and the State. We went to place the indi- uh, place indicated and found two Negroes. We interrogated them as to who they were and what they were doing and how long they had been there. They replied they were working for someone and then been in t- town for three days. About this stage, the larger of the two Negroes got up and I grabbed them. The negro pulled, but I held fast, and he finally pulled me into the street. Here I began using my billet, and the negro jerking from my bra- uh, jerked for my grass, jerked for my grass, and he ran. Then, then he pulled out a gun and fired. I pulled my gun and returned the fire, and each of us shooting about three shots. I saw the negro stumble several times, and I thought I had shot him, but he ran away, and I don't know whether any of my shots took effect. Sergeant Corny, in the meantime, helped the other man fast. The man was about ten feet behind me when he fired, um, and the three negresses. Who told us? (laughs) uh, Who told us about the men stood about 25 feet away from the shooting. (laughs) So thus far in the proceed. Oh no, no, that's that's it. So you can kind of tell the the sin that is, and and it takes two for some. And I'm actually learning this as well. I actually got the uh, the idea or the case for Graham versus Connor. Uh, through someone who is uh, familiar with it and who has some experience and some ability and kind of reading cases like this. So they can kind of read a case and kind of tell when an officer does, uh, did something wrong and how this is kind of outside of what they were talking about. Uh, he clearly admits uh, talking to this man, to talking to these people, uh, to these two black men, right? And the, the black man simply standing up and he grabbing him. You didn't say that he did anything wrong. So clearly when they approached these men, they were sitting, they weren't bothering anybody, you know, but he gets up and he grabs them, you know, and he and he essentially uh, admits to using his ability. He doesn't say, stop. Um, at this point, it's not even clear if he's under arrest. Why, why are you even putting your hands on him? But this this is going outside of the normal procedures on what you're supposed to do. Even then, as I'd be... Uh, Wells can comment as someone who studied that for a very long time. You can, uh, she probably can kind of see what things, um, we're probably not looking right. And, uh, whew, we in it, we in it, we in it, family. So, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, one last thing I wanted you guys to know that. Um, they also issued uh, a reward to bring them in dead or alive. This is the police doing it. You know what I mean? Um, and then also, after uh, Pierce is killed by the mob, uh, he, he actually holds himself into a house. it uh, has a shootout with folks, and it's actually the town doctor that shoots him. So it's not even a police officer. But he was given as good as he got. But uh, as far as the... the uh, as, far as the reward they offer for $250 under the uh, authority vested in me by law I hereby offer in the name of the city of New Orleans $250 reward for the capture and delivery dead or alive to the authorities of the city the body of a Negro murderer Robert Charles. and this is um, done by oh wait by Paul Deville, uh, who's the mayor of New Orleans at that time So the mayor essentially uh, issues out uh, for his capture, Dead or Alive, that sends people on a frenzy. Okay. So again, uh, just kind of going back into the two newspapers and whatnot. uh, The two newspapers, clearly you have one that tries to uh, associate everything, you know, with that kind of using known biases uh, to kind of cater to you. So you can kind of look at it like Fox versus CNN almost, or Fox versus CBS, right, to where one is kind of, you know, they know you have these biases, that's why they're calling them darkies, and negroes, and desperate, Ain't uh, you no know, worse than a desperate darkie, you know, over there with nothing, stealing, because we ain't gave them nothing, and we wasn't going to give them nothing, so you ought to be desperate, you know, because that was the natural position for a black person to be in anyway. Um, then you have the other one, uh, the picking you the one who gets the statement from Mora. Who tries to appeal to people's emotion, uh, appeal to people's loyalty, to get them to sympathize. Uh, Neither of these two accounts uh, tell the same story or tell the accurate truth about what transpired, you know, Uh, but they both try to shape the story in such a way to make you feel certain things. And of course, that made me think about trayvon Martin the way that why was he wearing a hood and that actually became a focus for a lot of discussion you know you have uh things going on uh and and I'm upset for jay-z for supporting this white woman who was uh he gave her some some money uh for uh cutting uh black do- for, uh, black men's locks saying that you know they're cutting their locks uh, for a better life is if the lock cutting or it's the lock it's the representation of your blackness and your Africanness is why you're struggling you know these are the these are the things that we have to deal with. We live in a society to where this is real now asking you all everything I did earlier about objective reasonableness let's go let's look at objective reasonableness in the case of patrolman more uh, control and um, the other guy you know. Let's look, let's look at that very closely. Dude. (laughs) You're looking at these these two black men, clearly. Now, whether or not these three sixes exist, uh, I don't believe so. Uh, I don't believe in the context of how Ida B. Rails writes this, and again, if everyone uh, wants this, please reach out and contact me on my Instagram and whatnot if you want it, but uh, she certainly doesn't believe it, but these, uh, these papers believe that they do, but even then, Suspicion. How much is probable cause? You hear one uh, paper try to induce or offer some sort of probable cause by saying that they were looking around and observing and this is a and this is no doubt most likely fed for more who has to justify, you know, why they're doing this. Why would they well why oh yeah, let me answer this question because people may ask, okay, so why in the nineteen hundreds if they're so racist, why? Are they, you know, have to go to all these legs to try to cover up what they did. Well, that's because the family may not be uh, very familiar with, uh, and if you heard some of my other podcasts, I talk about this, a lot of the uh, the rebellions that occur, all right, and the constant rebellions. They did not want to keep dealing with that, in the constant fight um, that, you know, that continue. Uh, 20 years later in New York, you have another riot of, oh, actually, no, no, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, um, but you do, but you do, but it wasn't the one I was thinking of. It wasn't the one that's was actually about 50 years prior. But you have a whole bunch of rebellions. If you want to get into a long list of rebellion, there's a good book by Hubert Abbecker called "250 American Slave Revolts." We didn't even probably we probably didn't even think there was 250 of them. And I talk about this book a lot because he starts this by uh, mentioning that he had no idea that there were so many revolts, but he thought that, uh, you know, I Turner, and I need to, I'm going to wrap this up family. That Nat Turner, excuse me. Oh my goodness. So that Nat Turner was an anomaly and you know, he wanted to see if there was anybody else, if there was any kind of antecedents to somebody who thought that was just an anomaly, like Nat Turner. And when he comes to find out that he was not an anomaly, that there were several uh, slave revolutions. And uh, If you get into uh, uh, to some deeper reading of Nat Turner, you know, you'll also find that he mentions um, the, the great uh, general of 1804, the one who defeats Napoleon that's this is kind of the reality and there's another good book um the island of Meme," uh by dr wade nobles there's also another one called the irritated genie um by jacob Carruthers. um so that talks about uh the haitian revolution but i say i say all this to say that uh at this time we're not aware of it because again we live in a that hides a lot of truth from us because it, it likes to stack the tape against us, stack the deck against us. Uh, however, the reality is is that um, they got pressure. They actually banned the importing of slaves in the 1820s because uh, so, they didn't want more slaves. Um, they felt that these slaves that were coming out here, who are prisoners of war, mind you, so some of these, so these aren't slaves that have gone through their whole process or seen their mother and father go through, them. they've seen their mother and father fight to the death and this is still in them. So they don't want no more of that. You know, they even believed at one point that Pointe du uh, uh the, the founder of Chicago, was a Haitian spy uh, at one point because he spoke French and all these other things. So, we're kind of getting back into the, you know, into the main point, the main crux what we're talking about is that uh it, it all has a lot to do with our real perception and you've heard me talk about that a lot you've heard me mention axiology you've heard me bring up logic you've heard me bring up reason well what is reason it's how you perceive things. and i don't believe that as long as especially if you have bills and rulings and laws that are being uh dealt with right Um, through objective reasonableness in a society where we should know or we should understand look, if the statistics are telling you that whites are twice as likely to have dope or drugs on them but we're still persistently seeing blacks and Latinos, particularly brown, dark Latinos, getting pulled over more likely then clearly you have a system of not just racial bias but cultural bias all the biases But this is a but this is an ism, and when we see who dominates law enforcement, the answer is clear. We cannot allow things like Graham versus Connor to exist. You know, there's another bill, and I didn't plan on talking about it today, but I'm gonna go ahead and mention it. And if you guys want me to expound upon it also let me know how you felt about this uh, this little section but uh, it's uh oh it's someone versus salinas um but it may be what is it? it was somewhere in the east coast versus salinas and the way that they ruled on that case actually changes how california versus miranda works. so things being in the spirit of miranda is a little bit more tricky than it used to be based on this case that went down where the guy had committed a crime. Uh, they, you know, he had came in for question. He hadn't been, you know, arrested yet. They wanted to see his gun. They uh, he, they got him to say some things that was pretty incriminating, but it wasn't in the spirit of Miranda. Uh, he flees, goes to Mexico. Uh, they, he gets busted on a drug charge in Houston, you know. Um, and then he finds himself going to court for this. And he, you know, the whole argument was, Do they have the right to use that if they didn't get it, you know, rightfully within the spirit of them and and whatnot? But the way that they ruled is that he clearly wants to use the law for his benefit. So because he's trying to use the law for his benefit, like what like what freaking white collar person hasn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, but based on your objectivity, right, or your subjectivity anyway. So they basically ruled that because he was trying to use the Miranda uh, ruling to his benefit, then um, and you know or his remarks to remain silent to his benefit, it was actually taken from him. So you know it's very important for us to know how these things are, uh, and the reason why they don't talk about it is when they get victories like this, uh, they don't gloat. They just uh, they just go on and try to get another victory because to them the war is fun and that's how we have to keep proceeding, family. The war is one. you know. We battling a lot, we going through it, we get the trenches. But at the end of the day, uh, we got to <laughs> uh, we got to figure some things out. We got to uh, we got to push forward and uh, peace, love, and light, folks. So let me know how this was. It's my first episode in a while. I'm glad I actually got this done uh, today. Uh, everything in the world was trying to stop me from getting done. Family, I'm getting phone calls. I'm getting emails. I'm just everything, literally in the world, um, has been trying to stop me from uh, getting in this work. But guess what? You can't do it. It's out there. Check it out. Uh, let me know what you think. I have a few more coming this week. I have a whole. I, I'm really just looking for time to get these out, and then I'm gonna have like an actual schedule Thursday. Uh, to do a lot of these, but because I have so much stuff I need to get done uh, to get out uh, out to the family, uh, past all these technical issues, um, you know, but hey, we're getting there, family, so peace, love, and life. Uh, also, tune in uh, a little bit later because, you know, it's uh, it's time for the freak there. If you ain't 18 and up, don't even bother. But I'm talking about Real life relationships, real life things for us in, a, in an African way, in a respectful way. Um, we're gonna talk about you know a lot of a lot of different things. It's gonna be somewhat humorous, but at the same time it's gonna be respectful. Um, but it is uh, it is a show because I think that we need that. We don't talk enough about our relationships. We don't talk about how things work a little different. And uh, I'm here for you, you know, for everybody. Whether you're monogamous. Whether you are uh, polygynous or polygamous, uh, we, you know, I have something for you. You know, I have I can contextualize it. You know, let the technique be your counselor and your guide. So, without further ado, uh, peace, y'all.